Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to Mapping the College Audition, a podcast where we explore the landscape of the college theater world and try to demystify this daunting audition process. I'm your host, Charlie Murphy, director of MTCA. That's Musical Theater College Auditions. And today we've got Liam Joint from SUNY Purchase on the show. I think you'll really enjoy the conversation, both content-wise and sonically, as Liam is a voice and speech teacher, and we get deep on some newer thoughts on voice and speech techniques. Um, Just a heads up for our listeners who happen to be all musical theater all the time. This episode is about an acting school, so if you're fully uninterested in any non-musical theater acting schools, feel free to skip ahead to the takeaway or just switch over to another listen of Hamilton, whatever you musical theater people like to get up to. Um, We do have a significant amount of students and listeners who are interested in acting schools primarily as well as many musical theater students who are looking at both so I want to keep having some of these non-musical acting programs on the show as we've been doing though I know many of our listeners are in that empty or bust mode I'll say if you're not sure listen on right? You might learn something from this school and maybe you will be interested in it. I will say there's not always a hard distinction between these kind of programs, these non-musical theater acting programs and the acting programs, but I do think you'll notice that Liam kind of typifies some of the different ways that acting schools talk about even acting training, which can be a little different than MT programs. Again, there are no black and white distinctions. You'll see it's sort of the spectrum of acting-based musical theater schools and then musical theater schools that are really more music-based and all those differences, but um, I do think you'll notice this a little bit of a subtle difference in just the way that some of the acting schools will tend to approach these conversations um, if you listen to those episodes as well. If you're a current high school junior, sophomore, freshman, or the parent of such, and you're listening around our episode drop date, I hope you've saved the date and or already signed up for our upcoming junior workshop. That will be for both acting and musical theater students. Um, In that hour, we'll look at the process from a bird's eye view and try to help you make a plan for success for yourself. We go over the expectations from the acting, singing, and dancing aspect of your auditions, both pre-screens and callbacks, and talk you through your timeline of what you can be thinking about in terms of school list, planning for the major events of the year, etc. You'll meet a bunch of our team members and have a chance to ask me questions. Should be a really fun time. And did I mention it's free? Just like this podcast, it is free. Um, That's November 8th at 8 p.m. Eastern. November 8th at 8 p.m. Eastern. Please sign up if you're interested. And if you're not interested, tell a friend who you think might benefit. All right, let's get into this episode with Liam Joint from SUNY Purchase. Well, we are so honored to be joined by Liam Joint of SUNY Purchase University. Um, Liam has a BA from Union College and an MFA in acting from Rutgers. Um, As an actor, he's worked in big budget films and daytime and primetime TV off-Broadway, regional theater, etc. He's also produced some world premiere productions as well. Um, He's on been on many faculties. He's currently on faculty at the grad acting program at NYU Tisch, previously taught at Pace, Marymount, Fairleigh Dickinson, and Rutgers University, and is currently the co-chair of the BFA acting program at SUNY Purchase, which is located in Purchase, New York. They shoot for classes of about 16 that's in the BFA acting program and offer degrees in BFA acting, BA theater performance, BFA dance, and BFA voice as well. Liam, welcome on the pod. How are you feeling today? 
Thanks. I'm feeling good. I'm excited to be here and, and talk shop a little bit. We are excited to have you. Okay, so I gave that little bit of a bio, mostly from your own bio um, on the website. Anything else that you want to talk about in terms of your journey, you know, sort of through universities, how you ended up in the, the current position that you are now and sort of what your artistic life up to that point had looked like? Sure. Um, so I was, you know, getting out, gotten out of grad school and I was out acting, doing the actorly things. Um, and then also started to get some opportunities to teach a little bit. And I was like, oh, I'll try this out. This seems fun. Uh, and around that same time, I had a, a child for the first time and started to take on some parental duties. And did you choose to do it multiple times, Liam? After doing it once, I'm out uh, one time. I, I, I did make that mistake. Oh, my I God, I did make Liam. that mistake. I know. It's so foolish. I learned nothing. <laughs> um, so <laughs> the that process of parenting was, was beautiful and wonderful. And, it, and um, it just felt like a better fit for me to move more into education space for uh -huh. my professional work uh, as opposed to acting at that time. And had a great opportunity to work with a, someone who had been a teacher of mine at Rutgers uh, and who became my colleague at NYU Grad Acting, Scott Miller. I uh, had been developing this work, Miller Voice Method. Um, so I started to work with him on, on developing that and um, really fulfilling beautiful work. It's, it's really acting technique by way of the voice, yeah. which I guess right. you could say any of these disciplines are acting techniques, right? Because that is the goal, to be a, a living, breathing human actor. I will um, still never forget, you know, hearing in school, like your voice is yourself and being like blown away. I was like, freshman year, I was like, what, what does that even mean? I don't know. I love it. It's so true. Um, and now I do a podcast. So my voice is myself actually. That's right. That's right. Um, but I'd love, I didn't say that in the bio that of course that this, your, your specialty is you teach voice and speech. Mm -hmm. um, I'd love to just hear like, you know, we'll get maybe at the end, if we have time, we'll get some deep voice and speech questions, but sure. what makes someone interested in voice and speech? What made that um, end up being your specialty? What, what drew you to, to that of all the disciplines of acting? I would say opportunity and, and that relationship with Scott. So it was simply there and the, the sort of um, what it started as, as great mentorship and then became, uh, you know, colleague to colleague relationship. Mm -hmm. So I, I've uh, had the sort of opportunity or privilege or great life experience of when things come my way. It's like, hey, let me try that. Let me see where it goes. Mm -hmm. um, and that opportunity led me there and and. A lot of, you know, any of this work, you just learn so much about yourself as an actor training and um, of any kind. So I think the self-discovery process of that as well is really huge. And my, my voice, this is what my voice used to sound like. Hi, I'm Liam. I'm just <laughs> it took a lot of work. Imagine, it's a lot of plastic right, surgery right. before you got to this point. I understand. Plastic yeah. surgery. Um, okay, great. Well, let's talk a little bit about SUNY Purchase. So now, and especially with your experience at so many different schools, both attending and net teaching at, what does make a SUNY Purchase student, you know, maybe differentiated from um, some other schools and other places that you've, you've been at? It's a great question. And I mean, the things that I love about SUNY Purchase is as a SUNY school, as a state school, it's affordable, which is just such a big deal. Mm. Um, as, as I'm sure you know, like school is it's so expensive and to make your living as an actor carrying a debt load, especially if... Um, you know, just all the challenges of that are can yep. be massive. So I think what we offer professional actor training, this is conservatory yep. style training at a price that that is manageable for many people. Yep. Um, so I think that's huge. Uh, we really have a, a, a wonderful, beautiful history of serving a really diverse population of students. Mm -hmm. And that's been reflected in our faculty over time. You know, Israel Hicks used to run the program there. Dean Irby, who's a really esteemed acting teacher, used to run the program there, still a teacher there. Um, so, and it, which is great. We have, you know, each year kind of, you have a, your own sort of acting teacher for that mm -hmm. given year. And then we also have an on-camera acting teacher. And so it's reflected in our faculty. So mm -hmm. four out of five of those people are people of color. 
and have been traditionally for um, for a long time. So mm-hmm. that commitment, I think, is uh, exciting and important. And SUNY Purchase itself is a home for artists. So mm-hmm. as you mentioned in the, in the intro, right, we also have a design tech program, visual arts program, um, so many BFAs, a BFA film program, which we work with those students somewhat. Um, so it's there's a writing program. To be in a community of artists is mm-hmm. thrilling. And, and, and that ties into kind of what we look for for you know, the students that I think do really well at, at Purchase are, it's really three things. We're looking for creative artists, that might be, I mean, it's, it's got to act, it's got to inform your acting and in some level you have to have a desire to be an actor, uh-huh. but you know, no one's coming in, coming out of a high school program being a, an Oscar winning actor. So there's no expectation of, of any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that there, you have a desire to be a creative artist, to be a storyteller, um, is, is essential. And then we're looking at people with big hearts, with empathy, mm-hmm. right? Your empathy, your ability to, uh, connect with other humans is essential for your vulnerability. And your vulnerability is your essential as a storyteller. And I don't mean mm-hmm. by vulnerability, I don't mean emotion, emotionality, but that sure. you're impacted and affected yeah. by your availability. Uh, yeah, yeah. By things around you and then work ethic. That's the lesson mm-hmm. last thing. Like you got to be hungry and just want to, you want to be, you got to want to be in it 24 seven because our, our structure, because it's a conservatory professional training program, it's intense. It's yep. intense to teach there. <laughs> it's intense to, yep. you know, the whole process is intense. I love that so much. It's a, you know, one of our coaches is a SUNY Purchase alum. Um, and oh, you basically nice. just described her to the T. I was like, oh, it's interesting. It's always fun to kind of hear the descriptions. Like when you talk about these people, do that sound like the people I know from that? And it certainly was true in, in this case. So that's great. Uh, I love that. Um, let's talk a little bit. You mentioned um, the sort of individual acting teacher for each year, which is very interesting. Um, let's just talk about the training progression. So mm-hmm. if I come in and I'm all three of those things, I'm a creative artist, I'm, I'm an mm-hmm. empath, I'm really hard worker. How am I going to change from freshman year to then senior, senior year? What's going to sort of, um, what techniques dropped in there and how does that progression work? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, hopefully you're going to change a lot. It's going to be a lot of um, looking at habits. You know, what are your mm-hmm. habits as a human and which of those habits as a human serve you to be uh, an actor? Mm-hmm. And which of those habits do not? And then the ones that do not, how do you sh- start to shift those um, towards the skills of a performer? You know, there's this really interesting, as, as actors, we're trying to represent human beings, but we have these mm-hmm. demands that aren't human. The things we do are not normal human things. Mm-hmm. Knowing all the words and the, and the physical actions of a space and a time that you're trying to live through in moment-to-moment truth is not, a, it's, it's, it's bizarre, you know, on some, on some really fundamental levels. So... Uh, so we try to take your human skills that are working for you and we try to look and find the human skills that aren't helping you as an actor and then mm-hmm. create new skills for you. Um, that's, that's in a nutshell, but also in terms of movement and voice and speech, those also have a, um, a whole year arc with a single teacher. So you really get that sense of someone investing in uh, moving you forward over that year and then building each year upon the next. And do you have a progression of like, you know, some schools, there, there is a little bit of like, hey, we're really starting with the basics freshman year, and then we get into the classics at some point, and, you know, we're stretching you in this year, and we're putting you back together. Is there that kind of thought to it? Or is it more like, hey, that's all happening all at once? It's not not necessarily one, two, three, four kind of thing. It's a great, that's a great question. I would say that those things are hopefully happening in a four-year arc, as well mm-hmm. as in a one-year arc. So, mm-hmm. um, so simultaneously, right, that process happens every year. Um, and then also it's, it's, it is building each year upon the next. So you're not necessarily seeing the same freshman teacher again. Once, once you've had them, you don't see them again senior year. Am I understanding? Correct. That's really interesting way to do for, it. At least for acting. There is some, right. uh, like I, I teach, um, 
speech in the first year and then voice in the second year. Right. So I get to work with those, those students twice, but in a different skill set. But that acting class specific progression is yeah, yeah. you're in charge and you take me through my Harry Potter journey and it that's ends right. with the train that's right. my- and it happens four <laughs> times, basically. You get the, that's right. the full arc of it. That's, that's cool. Uh, with movement, they have the, the same teacher first and fourth year. So they get a really nice book editing experience and then they have the same teacher second and third year. So they can have a two year trajectory there. And can we just, uh, I mean, you don't have to give me all the details, but, you know, many of our listeners are musical theater primary mm-hmm. applicants who are interested in acting schools too. And also a lot of the parents of such students yeah. who they, you know, they may kind of understand, all right, you're going, maybe going to musical theater school, which looks like an acting class, fine, that's acting, then singing and dancing and all those other things. When we talk about the different disciplines of acting, you know, we mentioned voice when we're talking mm-hmm. about speaking voice or you know, movement, when Mm -hmm. we're not talking about dance, like, can we just talk about like, what are some of those classes content wise, other than an acting class, or maybe we're working on scenes and maybe we're, you know, doing animal projects and all kinds of other weird stuff we don't know about, but, but can we talk about what are some of those other disciplines or classes that you guys have, you know, other than just acting for all four years? That's great. Great questions. Um, so I would say from the movement track, you're, you're looking at several things back. It's back to that habit thing. What are, uh, what are the habitual places for you as a human? And then how can you move towards a more facile body? Facile meaning easily um, movable and translatable into any character physicality or any character life. Um, and then likewise in, in voice work, in terms of speaking voice, it is, it really, it boils down to, to clear communication skills. It's where like, I feel really great about the work I teach people because um, not everyone's going to be a, a professional working actor, right? They may go mm-hmm. into di- many different um, aspects of professional life, but I know the skills I'm giving them that are, that are communication skills will serve them anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think especially in, in our tech-driven culture, where people are used to communicating with their thumbs on a screen more often mm-hmm. now than they used to, your ability to communicate with your voice is everything. Mm-hmm. So we work on things that have to do mostly with breath um, and the relationship of breath to allow you to have more musicality. Musicality just means point of view. Mm-hmm. If I know your point of view on something as an audience member, that is gold because then mm-hmm. I get to uh, reflect on it. I mean, good storytelling is like, I agree or disagree. I know your point of view and then, yeah, I'm with you or like, no, I'm against you. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And then I can think of, and so it brings me back to myself, right? That's our favorite topic mm-hmm. as, as audience members. If, how, how does it feel to me? Mm-hmm. And, and so if I don't get that music, if I don't get that point of view from you, I'm left a little lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for many actors, that's one of the larger challenges is with both with subtle subtlety and with more expressive range, how to really communicate your points of view when it's memorized text, when it's someone else's thoughts and feelings. Um, so that's a lot of the work we do is bridging that for actors. I love it. Very well said. And then what about, you know, uh, most of the students I imagine who are applying to SUNY Purchase are looking to go to be actors, meaning non-musical yes. theater people, but lo- looking at those who go, I am still interested in potentially, you know, being the kind of person who would do a Broadway musical, what kind of musical singing training or dance training, do they have any available uh, options to be able to keep up um, those skills? Is that something they're interested in? We, we get that question a lot because we do have a lot of um, students or prospective students who are, who are interested in that. And, you know, while we are fully supportive of people making their living in, in musical theater, it's just a tremendous part of our industry. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we don't technically offer a huge amount of that in our training. So um, I know some people do um, continue to sing on the side for themselves, mm-hmm. you know, working with a coach. Um, and certainly the movement work is very helpful in terms of, Again, having a strong, able body. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's certainly components of dance and modern dance in those classes. 
um, but it is not specific to, you know, dance for the stage. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, we have, we have several students or people who, you know, then in the summers go do music theater work and, you know, I'm incredibly supportive of it. Our, our whole totally. faculty is. It's, it's a weird thing to even, you know, choose. I mean, just because the nature of our, our industry is if you want to do theater, so much of the work is musical theater in some way, you know, it's right. whether it's Shakespeare or musical theater, you're like, that's most yeah. of the plays that are happening. Right. There, you know, um, you're going to have to find one of those branches at least that, that you fit in. And, and so many of our, you know, actors who come on the podcast who are not musical theater trained, find themselves falling into, well, maybe I'll never be a dancer, but I got to be able to carry a tune. Or I got to be able to, you know, cause it's going to be part of my work. Not all, but you know, if you want to pay the bills doing theater, yeah, exactly. There's not a lot of ways of doing that sustainably that don't involve at some point a little bit of a jig or at least some That's right. That's something. right. Yeah. And, and we do do you know we have. Um, it seems like in the last couple of years we've had several plays with music that have been happening, mm-hmm. um, and they do take a singing course in third year. So there's you know courses that happen that aren't full year tracks like singing and improv and stage combat. They get certified in stage combat. Um, yep clown so those those are all supporting these other things uh, or this main focus of acting no and but you appreciate the transparency of going that's not what we're going to be spending most of our time doing for for those students who go i really want to dance i want to keep up my dance every year i mean you go that's that's not what are we getting here so that's not the right school for you in in that case yeah um let's talk a little bit about um sort of outside of the theater program you mentioned a little bit of it with the film and the different artistic um pursuits but just tell me about student purchase as a larger University, And maybe I'll take this opportunity because I should have said at the beginning, just in case anyone doesn't know what the SUNY is, we're saying State University of New York is the SUNY of it all. You may have said that, but sometimes we get those questions. So SUNY meaning State University of New York. I'm going to go back to saying SUNY Purchase now. Um, but what, what, what does Purchase offer from a, a larger perspective outside of the theater school? Thanks for uh, explaining SUNY. That was very wise. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it does go back to that sense of really having a community of artists uh, of young artists. We have an amazing um, art museum on campus, uh, the mm-hmm. Newberger Museum, which has, you know, works from like amazing seminal artists all over the world. And they have uh, showings there all the time. You know, the um, the dance program is incredibly well renowned. They have amazing dancers coming out of there. There is a, a graduate of the um, jazz program just ran, won a Grammy for Best New Artist wow. last year. So you're just to be surrounded by, not just, to be surrounded by yep. amazing artists is inspirational. It's, um, it's wonderful. It's, it's a pretty, you know, as I go to work sometimes, our building's near the, near the music building, and I'll hear like a random trumpet player, or I'll mm-hmm. hear someone on a cello, and it's just, you know, wafting across the quad. Mm-hmm. Things like that, little, those little moments are pretty um, extraordinary. Yep. And you mentioned it being, you know, a really conservatory style education. We'll talk about cost in a second here, which I love how low the cost is, but a real conservatory style education. What do I get academically from a perspective? I am going to graduate with a degree. It's not like a certificate program, right? So what am I getting academically from um, my college experience? So the SUNY system has pretty strong, a strong component of general education requirements. So, um, and that will be the majority of your classes that are outside of the program. Mm-hmm. So that may be one class a term at most, mm-hmm. some, some terms, no classes besides your conservatory training. Um, so I do tell people, Hey, if you're interested in a more, if you want to be a really like a theater generalist, or like you're interested in, you want to, you're really excited about a double major or a minor. Mm-hmm. It, this is probably not the program. Like if you were like, right. Hey, I want to be sleeping, breathing, eating, acting, 
this is it. We have a, a wonderful um, uh, BA program as well in theater, mm-hmm. which does have some concentrations and things like dramaturgy and directing and acting. Um, so that's another opportunity for people who are interested in, in arts community. And, and they also have you know, performance opportunities through, through that BA. But I imagine not a lot of your BFAs are getting a minor in business or a minor in something outside of the arts community. Now, do some of them get minors in other artistic pursuits? Do you see them sometimes get a minor in, you know, another, whether it's dance or voice or, you know, do you see that sometimes or is it more you just get the BFA in acting? We had a student who's working on trying to get a a minor in visual art or drawing. And I don't Mm -hmm. remember or know, they're they're still currently at the school, if they've completed that process. But it's frankly challenging. Mostly mm-hmm. because your 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 schedule is so tightly packed with acting courses, you just don't have the space for you don't know you have these little pockets of when you can take other courses, and if they don't yeah. offer what you're looking for in those pockets, you're you're basically out of luck. Yep, I, I know it well. That was my, I went to a conservatory <laughs> myself, and we actually were just about to hire somebody who. Um, ended up getting a minor at Carnegie Mellon. And I was like, how did you do that? How did you pull that off? Like how did I watched people try to do it? It's really, it's hard. It's hard to do. Um, Okay. Let us talk a little bit about the, the preparation for senior year and beyond the sort of, you know, showcase, but I also want to hear about just sort of like the launch into how are they ready at 22 to attack the business? What are you doing, you know, throughout the four years and maybe especially in that senior year um, to prepare them for that? That's a great question. So they have a wonderful course with um, Susan Shopmaker, who's a, a great casting director and, and just has relationships all over the inside of the industry, brings in guest speakers in that final year. And so we get, it's really a year long. I mean, it's a three, four year culmination to, to, to quote unquote launching forward into the industry. But that last year is, is the place where we start to focus most on um, the business, uh, the business of acting. What is that? Uh, start to Bring in, like I said, bring in some outside casting directors and agents and managers to meet folks, to talk to them, to give some, give them some reflections. Uh, they have two year over uh, both junior and senior year. They have on camera work uh, with a great on camera teacher, so they're starting to build that skill. And for the modern actor, and they they also have a couple things that are new recently, starting to build people uh, voiceover reels. And with their showcase now, we we have a live showcase, but they also in coordination with the BFA film department, we've been having students, this idea came up during COVID, we've been having students film, uh, mm-hmm. film film a scene or two scenes. So then they also walk away with this, you know, calling card or, or just having something on camera. So if, if they do end up in LA, because we've got some strong connections in LA and people who mm-hmm. end up out there with managers and agents. So here's a little bit of something uh, that you can show to people and, and see you uh, on tape. Not that tape's a mm-hmm. thing anymore, but to see you digitally. <laughs> digitally, I know. It's, I, that, that was one thing I, boy, I wish I had right out of school is going, can I see you on film? And I'm like, I have these two things. I have a commercial. I have this weird, but it wasn't necessarily the best me on film yet. You know, right. to have that right out of school is so helpful. So helpful. Um, you might not know these exact numbers, but I'm so curious. I'm often curious with this question, and but I'm, I'm especially curious with, with you guys because, you know, SUNY Purchase obviously has a, a wonderful national reputation in terms of, um, you know, the, the quality of the school and the, the reputation of the acting program, but also we'll talk about cost and that the in-state tuition being so low. I'm curious of what percentage of your students are New York, you know, getting that in-state mm-hmm. tuition in New York, and we'll talk about the in-state tuition in different ways, but, you know, New York, New York area versus what percentage are from across the country, across the world, um, you know, you don't have to give me exact numbers, but, but about of the 16, about how many do you feel like are coming from that New York versus coming from other places? Great question. So, yeah, I'll give you 
numbers that are generally from my head, which means they could be suspect. So I'll give you that. That um, <laughs> that that uh, we won't hold you liable if you. I appreciate that. Um, I would say you know usually a good quarter to a third of our students are from New York City area. Mm-hmm. You know, are from uh, the Bronx or from um, Brooklyn and Manhattan, and you know that can range. It can go up or down over a given year. Um, and usually about overall two thirds of our students are from New York state. Mm-hmm. Um, and then about a third maybe are from outside of New York state or further yep. away. And those numbers, this most recent class, we have, um, both a larger mix of New York city focused students and then people from out uh, other states as well. Mm-hmm. So we've been trying to, it's, it's an interesting balance, right? Um, we want to create a, another nice thing about, I don't know if it's a nice thing about COVID, but something that happened during COVID was we created video auditions, mm-hmm. right? And so people submit, uh, you know, recordings of them doing their work as a first round before callbacks. Mm-hmm. And that was a totally new process for us. And we've decided to keep that. I know a lot of institutions mm-hmm. are getting rid of that. But we're, we're really like that model. What's great mm-hmm. about that model is it gives us um, access to people from anywhere. There's no mm-hmm. cost or, or minimal cost. Most people have access to a phone mm-hmm. and, and themselves. And you can record something and submit it. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's increased our submissions from people in other countries uh, from further afield in the United States. And it feels like it's great, creates more access for people. Yep. So, well, and you know, I mean, it's interesting cause you, I know you guys do unifieds and you, you know, you're, so you're going to see people from all over the country, all over the world. Um, but then, yeah, of course, with the in-state and out-of-state tuition, you know, just uh, still the out-of-state tuition being pretty low compared to a lot of these universities we sure. get into, but I, I know for a lot of the people who choose to go there, one of the big things would be go, I have a lot of great options, but this is, the cost is so much lower, especially if you're New York area. But let's get into that. I have down, and you can quote these numbers if they're right or wrong, I didn't research this, but let's say your in-state tuition is a little under $9,000 and your out-of-state is a little, almost 19. Does that sound about right to what you're expecting? Uh, I think the in-state is closer to high teens is my, is my recollection. Oh my, well, if so, we're now, are you now, but are you counting things beyond tuition? I am. You're right. So for tuition, that's correct. Tuition. Tuition first. (laughs) I like to get people the transparent full picture. Yeah. If there's parents listening, in state, if you're going to stay on campus, we have a 24 and that I'd say 34 is at least what's on your website. There we go. Yes. That's that. That sounds, yes. That sounds right. But still, you know, when you talk about tuition, because you know, some of these schools we're talking about your, your, you know, in almost in triple figures, just from the tuition of it all. I mean, some of these schools, the difference just when we talk about tuition, talking about a $9,000 or even a $19,000 tuition being much lower than some of the other options. Oh, other are, places I've, I've heard of, you know, are, are 40, 50, you know, $60,000 just in tuition. Just from tuition. And right? it's, so it's madness. You over, yeah, even if you are money. the most successful actor ever, that's like, it's just an absurd amount of money. And, I mean, and- I will say again, my own school. I love it, but um, our first podcast guest was a graduate of our school who's like done seven, eight Broadway shows. I forget what the number was, and he yeah. was at forty-two, saying, "I'm just paying off my student loans." That's right. After eight Broadway shows, and go, that's yeah, that's and and that, that's that's it. It, it feels um, amoral that you know that yeah. our current structure feels broken in many ways, or or it certainly needs um, some retuning, yes. so that people can have an affordable education and then and then go get work and live their lives. And not so burdened with, with absurd amounts of debt. So, Well, and let's talk about how that works with, so first with the in-state, out-of-state, you know, how does it work with in-state tuition in terms of, you know, your your ability to potentially access that if you are not fully a New York City or New York State resident, I should say. Um, how does that work if you happen to know of like, 
you know, some schools, there is a ability to get a waiver or, you know, you can after one semester, your aunt moves to New York and I'm living with my aunt. Like, are there any, you know, things you can or you can tell us about in that world? I think I think if you're if you have um, that's a great question about, you know, moving to New York State, if you move to New York State, I think within a, a calendar year, you then are eligible for in-state tuition for mm-hmm. sure. Um, I know with graduate school, you can move. Uh, you have to take a year, basically. And so yeah. if you, you, after one year, if you, you know, you can, you can be considered in-state. But that's mm-hmm. not true, at least in New York State, for the undergraduate level. Right. Um, and we're not talking about chicanery where you're emancipating yourselves. Some people correct. do weird stuff. Right. That's a whole different world. But, but, but so m- most of the people, then it means we would assume that you're, you're paying that either nine or that 19. How does it work with like scholarships? If mm-hmm. let's say maybe I'm an out-of-state person, maybe even more likely, and I'm going 19 is a lot better than some schools, but you know, it's still a lot of money. Uh, what percentage of the students who are out-of-state are paying nearly that full price? And how does it work with potentially bringing down that cost, mm-hmm. whether it's merit, you know, from a, uh, academic perspective from an artistic right. perspective how does that work from, from you guys we are so i'm, I'm a co-chair with uh, maggie Cerville and um so we split up a lot of different responsibilities and maggie's been great just hustling working really hard the last couple of years trying to increase our access to scholarship funding and it's it's a challenging battle um you know yep. as, a, as a state school funding is always a um, a challenge so mm-hmm. we we consistently fight to try to get the most money we can um for students it's not we usually don't have a large bucket, but in our recruitment mm-hmm. process, we try to assess, hey, who has need and what can we do mm-hmm. for them? And how can we get, I mean, ideally, we want numbers, the numbers down for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, for people who are in-state who meet certain thresholds, there are also some great in-state um, grant opportunities like Pell Grants and, mm-hmm. and different things like that that people are able to take advantage of. Um, so it's, an, it's a case-by-case situation. And, you know, if it was up to us, we would, it would be free, <laughs> you know? Wait, Juilliard just made themselves a couple of days ago made themselves free for their MFA. Only, Let's go. That's right. But MFA only. It's, a lot of schools do that MFA. But that's not. We're not here to talk we about are Juilliard not. and their free school. That's we're right. talking about you're in your nine thousand dollars right. school. <laughs> uh, um, that's weird. Um, I'd love to talk just a little bit about you know. So when you accept a class yes. and you're you know now trying to yield whatever percentage of uh, students that you do yield. What do you feel if you interact with them, you know, they're down to the wire, they're between two or three schools, they're trying to make a final decision. What do you feel like makes them say, yes, SUNY purchased, I'm signing on the dotted line, or if they tell you why they say, I'm actually going to this other school, here's the reason. That's a great question. I think in that, in that process, throughout the recruitment process, I'm always trying to offer people as much transparency as possible of, hey, this is what it really costs. This is who we really are. You know, we really like you. We think you'd be a fit here. And I, and I try to encourage people to, you know, whether it's talking to them and or uh, their parents or guardians, you need to make the decision that makes the most sense for you. So here's who we are. And mm-hmm. if you feel like, you know, we're interested in you, if you feel like it's mutual, great. Let's let's run with this thing and let's really, um, you know, get you in the program and, and try to move you forward for four years. The, you know, the considerations, I think, always go down to cost and reputation, you know, Um I think, and, and facilities on, to some degree, mm-hmm. you know, which, which to me are, um, seem usually tied to cost, right? So mm-hmm. some of the schools I know may have nicer facilities or you have this or that, but then is that worth an extra $30,000 a year of debt? Mm-hmm. And to you, some people it might be. And, and, yep. and I really try to encourage parents and, and I'm, you know, I know parents feel this way that it's you really do the cost, you know, do the value assessment. What is the yep. cost? You know, my, my uh, youngest daughter, who's nine, has recently shown an affinity for acting. 
No. So I, I, no. Exactly. I know. So so I'm, I'm thinking about these things long term, like, and, yep. and, and want to have really transparent conversations with her of like, hey, this is what the industry is like. And it's mm-hmm. it can be really challenging to make a living. And if this is where you want to go with things, then I'll, I'll support you. And I'm going to, every step of the way, give you as much information as possible so you can make informed decisions. It's what so, I try to do so- for, for other students. Yeah, it's so well said. I mean, it's, uh, you know, we, I've decried a lot of these sort of listicle top five, here's what makes schools good or bad sort of articles mm-hmm. at different times. I remember seeing one that said, like, this is how you, what, how you count a good theater school. And it said, if they don't update their facilities at least every 10 years with brand new facilities, they're not a good theater school. And I was like, that would not even be on my list of like, like obviously you have to have like a stage, like there's things that matter, but I'm like, the lights have to be new. I'm like, uh, to learn acting, like for me, but for some people that is for them. You know, that, right. that to me feels like the, the lazy river wave pool world of things going to, to be in a room and practice our imagination. I need to have, That's I'm right. not gonna have that in New York when I'm off Broadway. I promise I'm not yeah. gonna have those, those abilities. Anyway, now we're getting off on a diatribe. We're going to take a break and we're on the back end. We're going to chat a little bit more about the audition for SUNY Purchase. So we're back in a flash. Okay, we are back with Liam Joint of SUNY Purchase uh, University. And we're going to chat a little bit about the audition process. And I'm going to start you off with the impossibly broad question of just what makes a good audition for you? What are you looking for a student to walk in the room and do? Such a good question. I and I, I do find these things incredibly uh, subjective, right? So this is just my personal taste. Everybody's gonna have their own taste, and you know, I try to encourage students too to have that sense of you hear something from one teacher, great, take in that information, do what you can with it. But it's one person's point of Caveat view. Caveat noted: This yeah. is not the only way to do acting. This is not that's, the that's final right. answer that you're getting from Liam right here. This is just his opinion. <laughs> we agree. We agree. So the. Things that excite me when I see them is I'm I'm looking for someone who maybe this isn't the best way to say it, but someone who isn't acting. Mm-hmm. Um, so so and the way I experience that is when I feel like someone's acting or pushing or playing an an idea mm-hmm. or um, playing an emotion or basically playing at something mm-hmm. um, as opposed to authentic communication. And usually the, the, the markers for that for me are, are, and this goes back to, I guess, my own preferences and training, but it goes back a lot to the voice. Mm-hmm. And so when I, when I hear in the voice or see in the body uh, habitual stuck patterning, because in, in human life, we usually don't get in stuck patterns because we're constantly, we're going after something. We have new points of view. Mm-hmm. I'm getting new information from, we're getting, we're nodding at each other or smiling or frowning, whatever it is, we're getting new information and we keep down a path. And I don't know what I'm going to say. Like literally as I'm talking to you right now, I don't know what I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. And I'm finding out, I'm finding out in real time, just like you are on some really weird metaphysical level. So that's what, part of what makes acting so hard is like, you do know what you're going to say. So how mm-hmm. can you bring the markers of found thought, of found conversation into your acting? And for me, those mm-hmm. markers exist in the breath and, and in, in these really slight tonal shifts as we find new ideas. Mm. I love it. Such a good answer. Um, I'm, yeah, and, and a unique one. I feel like I hear a lot of different things and I haven't heard um, it phrased exactly that way. So that's well said, even if not the definitive answer. Uh, <laughs> Thank well you. Said. Um, how does that change for you now as you're looking at these? So in the musical theater world, we call them pre-screens. You know, mm-hmm. so some extent we do that in the professional world too. We call them self-tapes or whatever. But yeah. as you're looking at these first round video auditions, is what you're looking for any different? Are you looking for the same things? And then if there's in the second round, something that, you know, additional that you're looking for, just how do the two um, rounds work for you and, and how are they different? Great question. So in that first round, I'm looking for, really for any semblance of, of that. Hey, are, can you connect 
uh, as a person, as a human, through memorized text, which is hard. It's hard to do. Mm-hmm. It's hard to do well. So I'm looking for some kernel of that and or some kernel of creativity and or some kernel of like, hey, this looks like a really warm human being, like somebody mm-hmm. who's just going to fit well into our community. Um, those are, those are the, the things I'm excited about. So if any of those three things are there, great, let's get, let's get them in person. And, uh-huh. and, and then we'll have an opportunity to work together, see how, um, see how they work in person. And let me say here back from you. So when you're looking at that video, mm-hmm. even if two of those three things are not there, mm-hmm. let's say, boy, they feel stuck in some memorized text. It seems like they're reciting a speech, but then in getting to whatever conversation you see, they're super warm. And you go, I love this person. You might say, let me give them another chance and call them in or For vice sure. versa. Or they're really available. But then you're like, I don't know their personality. <laughs> let me bring them in and talk to them because maybe they were nervous. Like you're just looking for for some spark in that first video. Exactly right. And, so, and what we okay, do right. is we, we ask for basically, you know, uh, a contemporary video, a classical video of some of some nature. And then we, mm-hmm. we um, offer the opportunity for them to tell their artist's story. And so when they tell their artist's story, that can be ideally a video or they can they, they can write it out if they want to write an essay. Right. But that's where I really get to see like, hey, okay, how does the human over there, mm-hmm. how does that line up with the actor over here? Mm-hmm. And if I see human and actor are pretty similar, I'm like, all right, cool. Or if I see, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, or not, or how do those two things interplay with each other? But that's always an interesting process for me to see how... Um, and then in the callback, what are you looking like now? Is there any note process in between? Do you now saying, Hey, I love this, but now when you try it again, do this, or do you just see them for the callback and then give them any kind of adjustments? How does it work in terms of if let's say I love this person in the video essay, boy, they were so interesting, mm-hmm. but the monologues were not that good. And I do want to see, do we have a little work we got to do talent wise? How does that work in the, the callback for you? The, so the way callbacks and the way we kind of schedule things, it actually ends up to be a little bit random of who you see. Because we, uh-huh. we use our whole faculty body, both for that first round of um, you know, pre-screens and then also for callbacks. Mm-hmm. So we have a, a system where we try to have a common knowledge and a common vocabulary um, mm-hmm. between all of us. But that's where the videos become very helpful because when it's in the final decision-making process and Maggie and I are going through it all, we can always refer back to those videos and make, okay, what did this person see? Okay, this is what they picked up on. Great. We like that too. Or uh, we can assess it there. But, the, but when they come in the room, it's, it's a whole new fresh experience. Um, and, and then see what happens. And then, yeah, you know, always try to give them some kind of something to adjust to and see, because that is part of it too. Do they feel like, does it seem like they want training? Yeah. Are they hungry for training? Or if it's like, hey, try this. And like, well, I don't think the character would do that. And then mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I got to have the conversation that anybody would do anything. Like we have to, we have to mm-hmm. go there. Mm-hmm. As, I mean, that's my, again, my personal point of view. Like the longer I'm alive, the more I feel like any, almost any person I meet is capable of any behavior that I could imagine because I've experienced yes. them a bit. You know? yes. so when I was woken up at 4.30 this morning by my daughter, there are things I was willing to do that I didn't think I was capable of. <laughs> my character wouldn't do it, but Charlie would do it. That's exactly right. That's exactly yeah. right. So true. Um, I love that. Okay. Well, and so interesting. I mean, it's what's so hard for our families in this process, especially doing multiple schools and different um, versions of the process, to hear a pre-screen video only needs one of the three things. Let's put that thing on video. I only need one of the three things. But also then hearing that might be the thing they view last in the process. The last time they see me act might be that. Just in terms of what that video is, mm. is it takes a lot of weight and it's very difficult, I think, for the, the students to know when, when should I film? At what level of preparation and what level of feeling like, is it just a pre-screen or is it going to be my final factor? Mm. Um, it's really difficult. 
It is. It is. That's just a statement. That's not something you have to respond to particularly. It's not your fault that this process is the way that it is. It is. Um, Let's talk about, uh, you know, so if we like a student artistically, what goes into the application or, you know, you mentioned the the sort of video essay, but it could be a written essay. Is there anything else academically that needs to sort of pass muster with um, a a university? Do we look at essays or letters of recommendation? Does any of that stuff matter or factor into the admission for you? For me personally, usually not. Um, you know, if I really feel like I need more information on someone, like I, I'm trying to understand them a little bit better then I might go look at an essay or something like that. Um, now I can't speak for, for, um, you know, for my co-chair, I can't speak for, but then also the admissions, uh, department, how they assess or manage that information. Do you get a lot of pings where they'll say, Hey, this person just doesn't academically qualify. They have a it does happen 1. at times. 7 or, yeah. yeah. And, and so sometimes, you know, there'll be, there'll be a person that we will, will fight for and say, mm-hmm. Hey, we think this person is going to be worth it. Uh, can we go down the process? So there's a whole process and they have to get like approval and, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. And we've done that successfully in the past. Um, for, especially for people who are kind of near the threshold of what's considered right. our, our academic standards. Um, yep. And we're, when we're happy to do that when we feel like someone's a good fit. We talked about adjustments a little bit. Just in the interview process, do you, you know, uh, obviously you're only speaking for yourself, not your whole faculty, but when you're asking questions or when you're chatting with students, you know, what are you looking for in that conversation? What kind of questions do you ask, but then also mm-hmm. sort of what are, you, what are you looking for? What are you smelling for in their responses as you're chatting with them? To, to connect with them on a, on a pretty basic human level. And um, I guess it's maybe the question for any, any sort of interview process is, do I want to spend if I was in the class, would I want to spend four years with this person? Mm-hmm. Like, is this person going to be um, a vibrant part of our community? Are they going to be, you know, again, back to that sense of warmth. Are they a warm mm-hmm. human and, and, a, and a caring person? And most artists are, you know, they, they really are. So it's not like mm-hmm. that's a, a, an unusual threshold to meet, but it is an important one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Let's just, a couple more questions about admission. Then I want to sneak some voice and speech questions if we can. Um, sure. Let's just chat a little bit as you're filling out your class, especially with multiple people seeing different auditions. And then I imagine there's some kind of scoring system or voting system that then comes to you. And now you're going to sit down and you and your co-chair are going to try to put together a class. How are you thinking of these sort of conscious questions of the diversity of your class, you know, mm-hmm. meaning yes, racially, but gender and height and size and geographical, it sounds like not incredibly geographically diverse, but you know, in, in terms of the way you're thinking about that with especially both initial offers and then waitlist movement, how are you discussing the sort of complexion of your class in that way? Yeah, it's a great questions. And I think um, it could be challenging questions because it is an important part of, of Purchase's identity to have a, a really diverse student body. Um, and it's reflected, uh, Purchase College is a uh, Hispanic serving institution, which is a kind of federally recognized um, status and, and comes, mm-hmm. with, comes with that is some uh, grant funding to create some specific um, opportunities for students on campus. But I, I would say it's a big puzzle. It's, it's a, you know, mm-hmm. we, we, we lay out the pictures and we have a sense of, you know, Again, having the videos to go back to is great just to refresh the, the, the mind of, okay, this is this person's work. We have our own notes if we saw them. We have notes from other faculty if they saw them. And you try to just put the, put the puzzle together and, and create um, a decent balance of, of diversity, right? Mm-hmm. You know, within, um, ideally within non-binary gender and ideally mm-hmm. within, um, you know, all, all the various components of um, human racial and ethnic complexity, right? I mean, that's, yep. that's the goal. 
And then, but how does that work then with waitlist? Like, do, do you then, let's say you've found that jigsaw puzzle and go, this feels right. I love yeah. these people, these artists. And of course, because you're not going to replace one for one in every way of a, of right. a person. Do you then, is a waitlist just numbered for you? Or do you at that point, if some people are going to say no out of the 16, are you going, all right, back to the table. We lost these three. What, how does the, the sort of balance of my class make sense? Yeah, I think it's exactly that. So there's that first round of offers and then you get back what you get back. And sometimes it's surprising, right? Sometimes it's mm-hmm. like, oh, wow, that's a lot more uh, male-gendered people than we expected to say mm-hmm. yes. Or this is mm-hmm. or it's more of kind of this kind of um, type of person that we have more than, than we imagine from a, a first ask um, or less. And so then it, it is. It's, it's okay, so um, how do we create this, this balanced division um, in a way, in, in, ideally in a holistic way, we're trying to, to move mm-hmm. through that process. So it's not, it's never so prescribed as it has to be this or that there's numbers. Right. There's no quotas. There's no, I need no. three of this and five exactly. of this. And exactly. At least one person who's this. Okay. That's yeah, right. But, there, but there's intentionality again for, for that um, diverse complexity because it, it benefits uh, our whole student body. I love it. And I, I don't remember if you mentioned this already, but do you have the option, are you keeping from, from COVID the option of a non-in-person audition with that's a virtual zoom or, or a video audition for someone who can't um, come to campus or come to unifieds or does everyone have to come at some point in person we have uh apparently it's going to be advertised now we have an unadvertised uh uh option for people who are traveling far away like if someone reaches yeah, out to us not and the says, only hey, one. the secret yeah says hey like exactly um I, I can't come from here or this is my situation uh-huh. or like this last year someone fell sick and they couldn't come yep. up to purchase for their, their callback. And they said, oh, and I'm like, all right, well, let's set up a Zoom. Um, so if yep. we need to set that up, we will, for sure. I just love to talk a little bit about sort of what your experience of the sort of voice and speech world has progressed in the last 15, 20, pick a number of years. But since you've been doing it, you know, um, I think it's something that a conversation I'm aware of on the ancillary of, you know, we learned standard American in school and oh, there's yeah. a sense of this is how Shakespeare should be done and this should be right. like how how has that shifted or how are we having some of these conversations of going like what is a modern maybe especially speech training because I think voice training may be yeah. a little less controversial but but sort of modern speech training how has mm-hmm. that shifted in your time working in the field it has shifted um I guess I've been kind of in the shift right so as I got tr- started to get trained as a speech teacher um, I got trained as and certified as a Knight Thompson speech work teacher. Um, and the, the whole ethos of that system is like, these are the sounds of human language. They all have it's not value. an Edith Skinner. This it is, is how the it opposite. Yeah. The yeah. Knight Thompson work is literally came out of a, in response mm-hmm. to an older style of training, which, and this is what I tell my students when we kind of have our first, you know, start talking in the beginning of working together. Like speech training is, uh, historically, it's classist, it's racist, it's sexist, it's ableist, it's heterosexist, it's um, uh, colonialist. I, I mean, really, literally any kind of ist you could have mm-hmm. it was embodied in speech training, partially just because of the history of how the first um, you know, speak, uh, pronunciation dictionary came about. It was, yep. you know, some white dudes were like, hey, here's some other white dudes in middle America. Let's write down how they, sa- how they sound, probably innocuously, presumably. They right. just were curious. But that created a quote-unquote standard which mm-hmm. then got pushed out to everybody else as the standard. And, mm-hmm. and very sadly, it, it created this, you know, white is right standard, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, there was generations of actor trainers who were um, 
to my sense, you know, at times brutalized for speech. And it could be for, you know, basically being from the South, you know, anyone yep. from the South and you, you have to fix this. You have to change this. Hey, you're from here. You have to change this. You have to sound this way. So I, I do feel pretty passionately about the, the, um, the terribleness of that time. And I'm very, I'm very happy that I, I think, you know, some institutions honestly do still hang on to some of those precepts, but there's been a huge shift overall. And, you know, I, I, I really appreciate the Nate Thompson speech work community uh, and the work yep. that they do about you value all sounds. They're all valuable. And when you, and, and then you teach students, when you're teaching them IPA, all the sounds of human language, it's, it's pretty amazing because you get to really mm-hmm. dive into, this is the foundation for literally any accent you could ever want to speak. Um, then, however, there is the challenge of, uh, if you want to call it intelligibility, or if you want to, or how do you approach Shakespeare? Or you know, yeah, how do then, we all live in the same world? That's that's not yeah, an answered question right now. That's right. Not every director knows. They'll be like, I think I want it to not sound British. We're like, right, we know that, but what else do you want? Like, yeah, yeah, right. What's the soundscape of the play? So yeah. all these questions. So when, when, in teaching this work, you try to give the students um, tools and skills so they can make transformational choices if they choose to. And the understanding to be able to go in and say, oh, okay, this director wants me to sound this way. I don't want to do that. I'm not going to yep. take that job. Or I know this company always works this way. No, I'm happy to do that because I want the job. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. the skills we're trying to give people is to, to um, be an understanding and then, and then applicable tools. You had mentioned being a parent yourself, yeah. multi-time parent, unbelievably. <laughs> um, any advice to those parents out there? So just, you know, a, a lot of our listeners are parents who are helping their child navigate this. Some freshmen, sophomores, yeah. some, you know, already out of school and they're still listening to these school episodes, which I don't know why they're doing that, but fine. Many of whom are right now in the thick of it as seniors and juniors, you know, yeah. approaching the process. What is your advice of how to look at this process as a parent, as you think about doing this with your nine-year-old? For me, it's letting my child lead. So I, I think that one of, one of the things that, I think about the industry as it can be very personally exploitative of the actor um, just by its structure. Like, hey, you know, you're going to go do this thing and entertain me. Like there's a whole Mm -hmm. component of that. So I've always been wary of with with my own children, never asking them to do any work in the industry or even presenting it because I didn't want, I felt like they weren't at the age of consent to do that. Now my Mm nine-year-old is showing interest. So great. So I'm going to run with that with, with, with with her. But the, you know, if you're people who are, older in the process, they're certainly at the age of consent and want to be doing this work. Um, still having that sense of letting them lead, like why do you, and, and maybe asking questions. Okay. So what is, what does success look like to you? Where do you want to be in, you know, do you, you want to be a working actor? Okay. Well, how do we get you there? What are the real steps to get there? And what does being a working actor look like in a way that's actually sustainable to, to survive? Mm-hmm. You're going to live in New York city, one of the most expensive cities in the world where rent is through the roof. How do you do that? I know these aren't perhaps uh, exciting conversations for prospective students or for parents, and it's not like a fun thing, but, but, but to really address those realities and, and trying to um, offer up information and then let them lead with it. So they're just making, at least they're making really informed choices. Um, and I try to offer it up in a way that's not like, hey, I really think this way about it. So you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, Here are two choices, but there's really one choice. That's right. So yeah. an unmanipulated offering yeah. um, is, is what I try to do. And it, it can be hard. I love it. It's great advice. Liam, thank you for the time. It, it was such a pleasure getting to chat with you. A real pleasure. Yeah, thanks, Charlie. Oh, yes, yes, 
yes, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Liam. I found him to be so warm and easy to talk to, and not just because he kept telling me my questions were good, though that did help. Um, But that leads me to our takeaway for this episode, which Liam both spoke about and was a really great model for. It's just that idea of showing up to your auditions with the perspective of, here's who I am, let's see if we're a fit, right? Both sides of that takes a great deal of confidence, which we've talked about in the past, and also a large amount of availability, which we mentioned in this episode. Um, and I just want to talk a little bit about what do I mean when I say being available? I'm not sure that's a word that non-actors use a lot in this context. You know, in, in some ways, I am talking about where on that spectrum of output and input you fall, right? How much have you prepared and what you're going to say and do, and how much room have you allowed for discovery and listening? In this instance, Liam was really prepared. I mean, do you notice his bullet points of what differentiates a SUNY purchase student? That wasn't made up on the spot. He knew what he was saying, right? That could have been almost a prepared speech, but also really available and listening to what questions were coming his way and which direction the interview would go. He wasn't controlling the conversation. He wasn't forcing anything, but he was available and prepared to go in almost any direction. This, of course, like so many things when you talk about acting, is one of those things where there is no black and white answer or formula for how you get this exactly right. But for a young actor, I think it is very important to be conscious of what level of availability you are bringing. It's part of being present, so present is definitely a big part of it, but you could be present and hyper-focused on what you're doing in your preparation, right? In the same way, you'd be present while driving a car 200 miles an hour around a racetrack, right? Your adrenaline is pumping and you're in your body with incredible focus. But when we talk about availability, it's that ability within that adrenalized state to still find the new, to listen and react with flexibility and not just rigid muscle. Great athletes can do this. I'm sure you're not going to be surprised to make a basketball analogy. You watch Michael Jordan stick his tongue out at the highest pressure moments or Steph Curry dance his way into a three-pointer when the stakes couldn't be higher. That's not to say there aren't times in athleticism, maybe it's during dancing, right, where you you need to have more rigor than ease. That definitely happens in the NFL. A running back racing toward the line of scrimmage is going to have a, a more rigor and more effort than their ease. Or I guess to be more topical, I should be talking about Travis Kelsey, right? Um, but for most of us, at most times, we will perform our best when we're in an alignment that leaves us room to be available. When we're able to fill ourselves with that adrenaline and the nerves and the passion of what we're about to do in that audition room, but also find the joyous release of that as well in order to leave space for the experience to actually happen organically. It's both sides of the idea, here's who I am and let's see if that's a fit, right? You need all that hard work. You need the planning and the preparation to give your best who, here's who I am, right? If you haven't planned it, you can't show them who you are really in your best sense. But you need the ease and the availability to find the part of let's discover together if we're a fit. You know, people often talk about good auditions happen when the stakes are lower or maybe when you don't care. And to some extent, I think that's often true that you can have a really good audition when you don't care. But you can also have your best auditions when the stakes are highest. And I think actually your truly best auditions are often going to happen in those high stakes environments when you are full of adrenaline. It's not about not caring. It's just about not letting the caring overwhelm your nervous system to the point that you aren't able to be available to the moment. If your caring puts you in a place of, here's who I am, here's how this audition has to go, and here's why you have to take me, well, now it's getting in the way of that second half of the equation and preventing you from truly listening. 
On the other hand, nothing is preventing you from listening to countless episodes of Mapping the College Edition, all made available to you by the great Megan Cordier. Please leave us a rating and review. Check us out at mtca.nyc for info about our coaching services and follow us at Mapping the College Edition on Instagram. I've even started TikToking again. Who am I truly? To my young artists out there mapping their journeys, If I get stuck in speech patterns on this podcast, does that make me inauthentic? We'll see you next. Oh, no. That's one of them. We will see you next week. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.